Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, March 18th. We begin with a look at Calgary's guidebook for great communities. We hear from Ward 9 Councillor Giancarlo Carrop with details of the project and why he thinks it's beneficial for the future growth of the city. Next, we speak with Peter Bergman, local real estate developer and Ward 8 City Council candidate who takes issue with the guidebook and says it's not the best option for the city. ATB Financial has released its forecast for Alberta's economy this year. We get details and insight from ATB's Deputy Chief Economist and Managing Director, Rob Roach. How much do you know about Bitcoin or the other digital currencies in the market? We take a look at the value, security, and even everyday use of currencies. You can think of it as sort of a Bitcoin 101. And finally, it's a new twist on the fancy footwork you'd expect from local dance studio Decidedly Jazz. We hear about their new drive-in concept that will entertain the audience one carload at a time. 709, and it's called the Guidebook for Great Communities, described as a roadmap to redeveloping Calgary's communities. And it's been in the works for years with details on what the city is trying to accomplish when the guide goes before council on Monday for approval is Ward 9 City Councillor Giancarlo Carra. Good morning, Councillor. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. How are you this morning? Great. Thank you so much. Lots going on, a lot of controversy, you know, a lot of teams for and many against. So let's try and break it down so people really understand, Councillor. What exactly is the guidebook? So 10 years ago, uh, over 10 years ago, we passed the Municipal Development Plan. And it was a pretty unique document in the sense that it was 10 years in the making. It engaged over 40,000 Calgarians. It was the largest single engagement of citizens about the future of their municipality. And it basically said two things. Number one is we can't continue sprawling forever outwards into the countryside. We have to balance growth on the edge with starting to grow up inside the existing city. And when we grow, whether it's on the edge or whether it's in the existing city, we have to grow with complete communities. We have to have more mixed use, more walkable communities, places for people of all ages, stages, wages, uh, that drive a new economy, that allow live, work, play, all of those good things that I think everybody aspires to. Mm -hmm. The problem is, for the last 12 years, uh, we haven't really had the mechanisms in this place to do growth any other way than we've normally done it, which is just grow on the edge. And so it's been 10 years in the making to set up a system where we can balance growth on the edge with growth growing up. And the Guidebook for Great Communities sits at the center of that transformation. So, so we're here, and we have to you know, change things. I mean, I, I just think that any controversy whatsoever, this is an input from citizens. And at the same time, you know what they say about planning: if you don't plan, you plan to. If you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So th- that yeah. is outstanding. So, where do we take it from here? If if we've just been in, in that rut and doing the same thing over and over again, how do we change it up? So, so the way the guidebook works is it's it's transforming our planning system in four ways. The first thing it's done is it's taken that municipal development plan, which had a bunch of great ideas, but it had no means of actually doing it, and it operationalizes it. So it actually, if council, if and when council passes it on Monday, um, it will form the appendix, the statutory appendix of the plan, of the municipal development plan, and it will basically give us the roadmap for how we actually walk the talk we've been talking for 10 years. Mm. The way it does that, and this is number two, is it does it through local area planning. So how does your community change? How does my community change? Where does, where, where does, you know, where does each community share of 50% of the growth that the city experiences for the next 60 years? How does that work? Let's talk to citizens. Let's sit down and talk about what, what do we love about our communities? You know, what do we need? 
What, what do we want to protect? What do we want to change? And local area planning does that. And the guidebook is literally a guide for how we sit down with communities and we have that conversation. And the third thing it does is for the first time in decades and decades and decades, we realize that growth comes with investment. You know, we can't grow on the edge without putting public dollars in. We can't grow on the inner city without replacing pipes, building main streets, parks, transit. If we're going to change our communities, that's going to come with investment. And for the first time ever, we're talking about a very apples-to-apples conversation about where we grow. If we know what every part of our city is going to be when it grows up, then we can have a very thoughtful conversation about where we put our scarce public dollars to help facilitate the most bang for the buck growth we can get. The fourth thing it does, and this is, this is a really sort of important but inside baseball thing, is that for years, our aspirations about what we want our communities to become, our plans, and what we allow our communities to be, which is land use, have fit completely in different in, in different pockets, and, and they don't speak to each other. And in fact, in 2007, we passed a land use bylaw that was backwards looking and a risk management exercise. And in 2009, we passed a, a municipal development plan that was forward looking and aspirational. And those two have been at war for 12 years. And so when council sits down every month on a, on a, uh, and, and we go through land use after land use after land use, it's because what we've said we want our, our city to become and what we allow our city to be is at war with each other. And what we need to do is we need to get ahead of that and we need to sit down with communities and we need to have thoughtful conversations. So when it comes time to build a building, every single building we build is not a fight. What we want to do is we want to guide great communities about the best ways our communities can change and we want to allow that to happen so that when it comes time to actually spend money and build buildings, we're spending our money on building quality buildings and maybe making units more affordable than we are in fighting an endless battle about each and every single potential change that could happen on any particular block. Now, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk to someone who is against some of these changes. So without hearing, you know, that side of things, I'm sure you've already been hearing a lot, you know, a kind of against this new guidebook. So can you answer some of the issues that people have been, you know, bringing to you in terms of, oh, no, in our communities, I live out in the suburbs, I'm suddenly going to get these big high rise buildings, you know, around the corner from my house. What do you say about that kind of thing? Well, that's to be determined. You're going to sit down and you're going to have a excuse me, you're going to have a thoughtful conversation with your neighbors. And keep in mind the guidebook just guides how you do local area planning. It's not the local area plan. You have to go through that process. And if you and your neighbors all decide that high rises next to your single family house is the way to go, then that might happen. But I, I, I I'm not convinced that's what's going to happen. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that. So, so, you know, the guidebook doesn't change anything. It's a toolbox. It's a, it's, it's a recipe book for how to build great neighborhoods, great communities for everyone. And then you actually sit down in your community with your, with, with your neighbors and with the local businesses, and you have thoughtful conversations about where growth and change should occur and where it should not. And the thing about the guidebook is it has amazing tools to help guide change. It also has amazing tools for how to preserve change or how to preserve parts of our neighborhoods that we don't want to change. And, you know, uh, one of the things that we've heard, I mean, so, so the basic, I think, point of contention with people is that they're saying this is the end of the single family house. And it's not. 
What it says is that there are parts of the community, uh, there are parts of our city that are single family in character, or single detached in character, and maybe those should stay that way. But the basic building block for how we build our city is not the single detached district. The basic building block for how we build our city should be the mixed-use, walkable neighborhood. And uh, there are always exceptions to the rules, but I think for, for decades we've tried to build the city as single detached pods where people of different incomes live. Uh, and they get around the city, they leave their pod, and they drive around, and they go to work, and they go to shop. And what we're saying is we've got to put a lot of those things that can play nice together closer together, and that works better for most people. And so the basic building block for building our city is the mixed-use walkable neighborhood, not the single detached pod. But if you have single detached character areas that are part of that larger neighborhood conversation. And it's not about changing them. It's about figuring out how they all fit together and play nice together at the, at the multi-community level. Well, and like you said, this is kind of a playbook. This is a guide and uh, it is opening the conversation. Uh, we appreciate your time and your conversation this morning, Giancarlo. It's a pleasure to be with you. And yeah, please try and call out the misinformation because there's so much of it and it's just so unhelpful. Appreciate your time. That is Giancarlo Carra, Calgary Councillor for Ward 9. 719, it's Mornings with Sue and Andy, and we're continuing our conversation right now about great neighborhoods, uh, the Great Neighborhoods Plan. We just heard from Ward 9 Councillor Giancarlo Carra on the positives of the Calgary Great Neighborhoods Guide. Now we're going to hear a different point of view from real estate developer and Ward 8 Calgary City Council candidate Paul Bergman. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, and thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Well, we just heard, you know, a few minutes uh, with the councillor, Councillor Giancarlo Carra. Uh, so I'm wondering, the counterpoint, he is saying this is the way we have to go. He's saying that, you know, it's up to the communities to make these changes and, and look within. So it's not, a, you know, a complete, this is the way it's going to be. Uh, but why do you take issue with it? Why do you think that this is not the path we should be taking? Well, first of all, let's say that there's probably some good points to the guidebook when it comes to the industrial and commercial side of things. But I think in their rush to get something done, um, they've they've created a document that, that doesn't address the concerns of the residential folks. Um, the, the communities out there ha- have some concerns about how they're defining those building blocks that Jean-Carlo was, was talking about. And, and defining those those residential building blocks properly, and I think that's what's missing in this. So, what are you hearing from people, and and your thoughts yourself into why this great neighborhoods plan, uh, excuse me, the guidebook for great communities, why this might you know be a negative if it does go forward when they look at it on Monday? Well, again, it gets back to that community engagement piece. The the communities don't feel like they've had a say in this process. Um, it's come it's come up quickly on them. Uh, although you'll hear from from the folks at the city who are well intentioned that uh, this has been a long time coming. It's been five years in the de- development process or in the in the planning process. Um, really, it's just come to a head in the last couple of months as the latest version of this guidebook has been rolled out. Uh, I've seen several versions of the guidebook over the last couple of years, and we've sent it back to the planning department because there were lots of missing pieces and it was not a perfect document. And it's still not a perfect document. Um, and we, we've got to make some changes. So there's no rush for us to, to get this passed right away. We've got some time because population isn't growing that quickly. We've got some time to to 
look at this in a more thoughtful manner and, and fix some of those problems. So I just want to, I just want to like get some kind of an idea here, Paul. Would this be a case that if I live in a, an older neighborhood, like it, maybe in a, an Acadia or a Fairview uh, that is, you know, um, moving closer to be uh, middle of town, it used to be the outskirts, if you will. And I love that small feel of my neighborhood and something like this comes in and it might be a case that uh, my neighbor would be allowed with rezoning to, to build a multi-res right next or a, a semi-detached and there could be a bunch of these on the street and that's not what I signed up for initially. Um, yeah, but let's put this in the proper context. Okay. This, this can happen right now under the present uh, zoning bylaws. Somebody can come in and apply to put a fourplex next to your single-family house on a corner lot. Mm-hmm. You can do that today. What this process, what the guidebook is supposed to be, is building blocks for communities to then use to define their local area plan and their community. The problem is... There isn't, in the residential section of this book, there isn't the tools to get to that granular level. So, I mean, as Councillor Carra mentioned, though, 40,000 people have taken part in the consultations over five years, two public hearings. Like, have we just not been standing up and and having our voices heard as Calgarians loud enough prior to this point as as we look to see it be approved potentially on Monday? Um, there's that piece, definitely. Uh, but I think it, it also comes from the other side, where the city says they've engaged with 40,000 people. That sounds like a lot of people. But this city's, uh, you know, substantially larger than that at one, you know, at, at how many million people. And if you're talking about only 40,000 people engaging on something that's going to affect millions of people or, or you know, the, the, the people that live in, the majority of the people that live in Calgary, uh, that's problematic. Um, those numbers don't, you know, you're also not considering that a lot of people are ultra engaged. So you could have, you know, several people hit that website several times. Are they being counted as individuals? I, I think that the city's, uh, uh, the city is, is trying to do engagement, but it's not really happening throughout all the communities. Paul, thanks for your viewpoint on this. We appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. That is Paul Bergman, real estate developer and Ward 8 Calgary City Council candidate. ATB Financial is offering up a forecast for Alberta's economy this year. And joining us with the details is ATB economist Rob Roach. Good morning to you, Rob. Good morning, Andy. It's a treat to be on. I listen to your show with, with Sue all the time. Oh, good. It's glad Thank to know you. that someone is listening besides my mom. That's <laughs> uh, you know, we're very excited to, to, to have some positive news, and I hope we can count it as positive news. ATB's economic outlook, definitely more positive for 2021. Uh, so can we say that Alberta's economy is, is on the mend officially? I think we, we definitely can. And uh, on the mend is, that is, is, is a good analogy because that is what we... we on the mend is good, but it signals that we haven't fully healed yet. So our forecast for 2021 is economic growth of about 4.1%. But, of course, we contracted last year by about about 7.1%. So it's in the right direction, um, but we still have to be patient. It's going to take a while before we're fully back to where we were before the pandemic. Rob, with a GDP growing, you say, perhaps around 4.1% this year, what would have been, you know, not in its heydays, obviously, but what would sort of be the average GDP that we would have seen pre-pandemic? Well, pre-pandemic, you know, 2 3%, and, and during the boom, we, we got up into 4 5 even 6%. Wow. Um, 
but that growth was usually based on uh, growth the year before. So it was growth on top of growth, whereas this time around, we're playing catch-up. So we're filling in some of the hole that was dug last year. Um, so that's why, you know, 4% uh, would normally be very strong, but because we're coming off that low year, it's not as good as it maybe sounds. Let's, uh, you know, I know that you guys are laser focused in our province and what's happening uh, for the Alberta economy. But can we compare ourselves to our neighbors east and west to the other provinces when it comes to 2021 in our recovery? Yeah, so we're all in the same storm, which is the pandemic. Uh, We got hit a little harder because of the oil price crash. But basically across the country, the big variable is the vaccine rollout how quickly economies will be able to, to fully reopen. And there'll be some variation uh, from coast to coast, but we're all in that same situation. And, and here in Alberta, our growth will be, you know, there'll be differences because of the different ways the pandemic has played out. Um, but we're broadly similar uh, in terms of every province will be playing catch up in 2021. Rob, when it comes to Albertans, who would you say will benefit most in, in what's coming for us this year? Well, unfortunately, we are forecasting a K-shaped recovery. So if you think of the letter K, that upper branch is uh, businesses that were able to stay open and uh, individuals who kept their jobs, their income was, wasn't disrupted. That group of Albertans is, uh, probably has some pent-up savings and pent-up demand. Uh, they'll be out experiencing a pretty strong sense of recovery. Unfortunately, there's that lower branch of the K, which is a lot of low-wage jobs, businesses that had to close either uh, temporarily or even permanently. They're facing a tougher road ahead. It'll just take longer, um, and things won't feel quite uh, the same as it does for that other group. So two different recoveries at the same time. All right, one of the big crystal balls that is, well, if anybody uh, knows, it might be you folks. And I, I know industry insiders lean on any, uh, you know, credible information they can get their hands on. And that's the, the price of a barrel of oil as we're moving ahead into the year. We've started off pretty good. We're above that $50 mark and floating around 54 I believe, this morning. But what do you see uh, the uh, price being through the, uh, I guess, averaged out 2021? Always a challenge, of course, uh, with the price of oil and the really strong rally uh, over the first three months of, of the year. That's very encouraging. That's very helpful for not just Alberta's oil patch, but it ripples out across our provincial economy. We are, however, thinking that might settle down. Um, so our forecast is for oil just above that $50 mark, which is that it's not just symbolic. It is a line above which uh, things tend to do well for the oil patch, below which it, things get more difficult. So we'd love to see uh, oil prices stay where they are right now, but our average for the year is a little bit lower, which is still better than last year. So again, like the overall economy, uh, up and going in the right direction. We have talked a lot about Alberta's growing tech sector. Do you see that as a, a really a helping hand when it comes to this economy recovering? Absolutely. Um, You know, it's a sector, it kind of weaves its way throughout the economy. Uh, It's present in a lot of different sectors, and it's been doing well. Now, we want to be realistic. It's it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to replace, uh, you know, uh, the ground that we lost during the pandemic, and it's not as big as oil and gas. But it has been growing, and it has a very bright future. So I think, you know, that's something we can celebrate. Same with our agriculture sector long-standing part of the Alberta economy. It did well in 2020. It looks like it's going to keep doing well for many, many years. So a couple bright spots there for sure.
I'm, see, I'm seeing a couple mentions of retail within uh, this report and this look ahead. I, I'm wondering if we do we do we lump the hospitality industry and restaurants in with retail, or is that a different animal when it comes to your forecast? Because we know that hospitality and uh, the restaurant industry has been hit hard. Yeah, two two different animals, and they both rely on consumers going out and spending. But the retail sector, which is, is uh, restaurants are kept separate in terms of the numbers. It did okay. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't great, especially if you had to close your store or partially close. But overall, retail, you know, held its own, and it does look like it'll bounce back as the economy keeps reopening. Whereas the hospitality sector, including restaurants, you know, they have to get reopened fully, which still hasn't happened because the pandemic isn't over with, and they have to make up, you know, for you know. A tough 2020. So, uh, you know, they will get to reopen. I'm sure Albertans will be anxious to be in person dining as much as they can. So, you know, it's going again, same story, going in the right direction, but they need, you know, really to get back to normal as quickly as possible because they got to make up for a really tough 2020. Mm-hmm. Rob, we got a text in from Brian. He says, I believe oil prices will help our GDP numbers, but in my opinion, jobless numbers are going to recover very slowly. Well, the texture is, is bang on in terms of what we're seeing as well. We're going to see some employment growth. We have seen some employment growth as the economy reopens. It's just not enough to keep up with demand. So we need to get all the jobs back we lost, plus add some new ones. And that's not all going to happen in 2021. So the unemployment rate, we are forecasting, it stays roughly where it is, around that 10% mark. Uh, so job growth, but not enough to really make a huge dent in in the number of people looking for work. Interesting information. We appreciate your time this morning, Rob. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for having me on. You bet. That is Rob Roach, Deputy Chief Economist and Managing Director at ATB Financial. You can find out more at atb.com. 619, it's mornings with Sue and Andy. Thank you very much for spending your time with us. It's fancy footwork, the kind of fancy footwork you'd expect to see from Decidedly Jazz, but at a different venue, taking it outside. With the details, we're joined by Kim Cooper, Artistic Director from Decidedly Jazz. Good morning to you, Kim. Hi, thanks so much for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. Well, I know that as an entertainer and an artist, you love getting up as early as possible. It's just a shame we, <laughs> we couldn't have you on at 5.30. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this. Uh, this is interesting because everybody uh, in the arts who has uh, wanted to survive during this pandemic has had to change things up. You guys, this is a great idea. It just had to wait to maybe the snow melted. So tell us about what you're doing. Well, we're, I, I'm just uh, sitting here with kind of pinching myself because it's opening night, and this is not something I expected to experience this year. Crazy. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a really hard time for performing arts. We all know that, you know, the industry is decimated. Um, if you're working, you're so lucky. And so we are so lucky that we have a set of circumstances that have allowed us to be where we are today Um yeah, but we had this idea that we wanted to try to do a, a drive-in performance, and that's mm-hmm. something that people have been able to do, you know, in warmer climates, um, carefully, slowly, uh, in a distance way. But because we have um, 
in our beautiful building, we have a giant space that we call the breezeway. So this is a glassed space that is outside the theater, but inside the building. Um, and we happen to have a parking lot right across the street. So our drive-in dance show is a, a piece that is about a half an hour long. An audience can drive in. Our, we're located on uh, 12th Avenue between Center Street and McLeod Trail Southeast. You drive into the parking lot from 12th Avenue and you park and you face that building and the lights come on and distance dancers wearing masks uh, <laughs> throw their energy at you. That's all I can say. I saw the dress rehearsal last night and I was just um, so moved to see humans <laughs> dancing um, to music. And of course, we're using the magic of radio. So the soundtrack is broadcast to you through your car. So you can just blast it and um, have your own little dance party while you watch. Um, it's supposed to be seven humans, but it actually ended up being six because one of the dancers' partners was exposed to COVID oh, on Friday. No. This is how we've had to pivot. Oh. And so though they're both negative and she's fine, uh, I just had to make the call last week that it was just too dangerous yeah. for the show. Well, thank goodness um, you can still go ahead with it. Okay, so this is really neat. So you park across the street from Decidedly yeah. Jazz. You yeah. guys have lit up the window. It's be it is a beautiful building. It's up on the second floor where the performers will be. We tune yeah. in our radio in the vehicle and just watch the show. Thirty minutes long, so it's it's short and sweet and fantastic, and it's free. I understand. It is free, and another actual super bonus of, of generosity that uh, parking lot is free so you don't even have to pay for parking awesome. you can just come and show up do we have yeah. to book a spot uh, well it's great if you reserve but the eight, so shows are at 8.30 and 9.30 uh, tonight tomorrow and Saturday and the 8.30s are pretty full so it would be best to go to the 9.30s it's great if you can just tell us that you want to come on our website where all the information is because then we can uh, just have an idea of how many people are there and there are uh, volunteers who direct you to spots and tell you the best way because of course you have to park in a distance way too mm -hmm. so it's not like we can fill the parking lot we have to be careful about making sure that there's space around all the cars good stuff perfect for the family yeah I mean, the price is awesome. right what's some, this is some good exposure for you folks i like that well, it's really, uh, it's just a little half hour of joy. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, yeah. Thank, thank you for bringing that to us. We need it right now. <laughs> we do need it, yes. And it's you, so great. I'm it, so proud and excited. Got some great weather for it, too, this weekend, Kim. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Take care. You as well. That's Kim Cooper, uh, Artistic Director for Decidedly Jazz uh, Dance Works. You can go online, decidedlyjazz.com. Again, it uh, kicks off tonight right through Saturday, 8.30 and 9.30 are the performances at 111 12th Ave Southeast. And Kim says if you can, register online.